Hey there. Um, yeah, well, sorry I missed you. I guess, okay, well, I'll just leave you this message. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's a bit of an exciting day. I'm headed to a, uh, a real, maybe a, maybe a real used bookstore find down here near St. Augustine. I, I, I saw uh, it advertised just on a flyer. There's a local, little local place, little local coffee house that uh, puts up all kinds of flyers in their windows for various you know, local happenings. And it's just this black and white flyer for this used bookstore in a little town called Elkton. A bit of a drive. But get this, the used bookstore, it's, it's simply called The Falconer. And there's this great photograph on, on the flyer. Um, it look, so I looked it up online. It looks like this place is in a little little green uh, green and yellow house. And it looks like to get to it, you actually have to cross a little bit of a, a little stream. You go over a little footbridge to get to it. Um, so I, I think this could be, you know, it's like raining today. Uh, this could be like just this great... Uh, day trip. I'm, I'm, I'm headed out to this to this used bookstore. It's got really weird limited hours. It's only open three days a week, and uh, Saturday is the only day on the weekend that it's open. So, I, <laughs> from from noon till five today. So I'm headed out there. You know, just because I, I think uh, you know, th- this is the dream, right? This is the dream to find. Uh, maybe this place will be special in some way. At the very least, you know, I. Looks like I'll be getting some some free books out of it. I, I'm going to take some stuff down there to exchange. I, I can't really afford to buy any new stuff um, right now. So it looks like I'm going to have to have to painfully give up a couple of good old books that I've had in, in exchange for other ones. So let's hope let's hope their selection is is, is cool. I am driving there. Um, in my recent acquisition, uh, I went to a police auction uh, recently, my first one ever to, to find wheels. And I guess uh, success <laughs> was had because I do in fact have this car. It is a, it's an old Chevy. But uh, really, if you're looking for uh, some great stories for your, uh, your fiction, I highly recommend going to a police auction. <laughs> At least the one I went, went to. I don't know what was better. The uh, oh, the fact that it was just like me and, and, and eight eight other men, and they all kind of seemed like they could beat me up. You know, it was this, that kind of crowd. And then you know, it was in this uh, this old uh, sort of community community hall. Or I guess maybe they have like stamp shows sometimes or, or cat shows. <laughs> and they had, I'm not sure why they felt this was necessary. Uh, like an, an old cart with like like a, like one of those popcorn machines that you rent for parties. And this poor uh, teenage girl was was handing out popcorn to whoever, whoever wanted it. I got a bag. And I know another guy there took a bag. I guess that was supposed to be fun, right? Hey, everyone, we're at the police auction. We're having fun. So, yeah, I, I, I got this car for a disturbingly cheap amount of money. The, the, body, the body work alone is, you know, if I ever actually bothered with it, would wipe me out. And it barely passed inspection. Um, but I, it, it's running. <laughs> it's running. It's got 121,000 miles on it. 
But I'm on my way to uh, to to Elkton, and uh, I, I'm going to report back to you to see if if I found a little really really good uh, used bookstore. All right, talk to you later. No, hi there. Um, how are you? I I hope you're doing well. I was just thinking about our 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 bookstore. Our, 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 our elusive bookstore. I was going through my shelves and I I just wanted to tell you about I and we did this a little bit before. I just wanted to tell you about a few a few more books that I, I I'm confident came from there. And uh that oh, you know, that I just have not ever really wanted to get rid of because they're very special to me. They feel very they feel close to me. They feel like even if I haven't, you know, even if I don't uh, refer to them or open them much anymore, I just want—I just want to have them near me, and I want to be able to open them again at any time I choose. All right, first, all right, first of all, these are published in the '30s. This is kind of a twofer. This first one because one led to the other. So, first of all, we're talking <laughs> came out in the '30s. The Daniel West. Day of the Locust, all right? Now, this is a very early kind of um, uh, sort of a Hollywood uh, nightmare. I I don't know. You know, um, anytime I read anything about Nathaniel West's, um, oh, very uh, slim, actually, um, catalog. I believe he died in a car accident. His works are always described as satires. And I, I, I suppose that they are, but... Man, uh, they're very, very dark. Um, I mean, fascinatingly so. So, Day of the Locust really, really rocked my world. Uh, this this copy also that I had found that that I have now still. It's like it's very strange. It looks like I mean, it looks published kind of, but it 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 almost appears as if someone made a cover for it. It's it's kind of this um, it's sort of cardboard. It's got this dark kind of collage. On it, it doesn't have any lettering on the spine, and on the front cover, the bo- the bottom corner, there's like a there's a slice cut out of it for some reason. Like you know, must have been from it can't be intentional. Like it it has to be from some previous owner. So there's kind of this triangle cut out of <laughs> of it. It's quite an odd copy. I've never really seen anything like it. It is it is a very very dark satire. Very very dark, and it's got one of the most kind of spectacularly. Um, <laughs> What does one say? Just a, a climactic uh, endings of 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 all of all time. There's just so, there's just something about um, the kind of um, kind of swift and pretty dreadful insights. Uh, Dave the Locust led me to also pick up uh, a second a second book that I that uh, that I that I that I found there called Miss Lonely Hearts. Now this is another uh, novel. Uh, Nathaniel West. It is quite short. I, w- I would call it a novella, and still in this same way, uh, you know, my copy right on the fr- fr- front here. Uh, my my, it's a it's a it's an Avon paperback, a small little Avon paperback with with rounded corners <laughs> from the Avon library. They have such a distinctive look to them. Here we have. This is an odd price. Two dollars and ninety cents. 
<laughs> at the bookstore. But this little gem I have not read for a while. I think that it's kind of a tiny masterpiece, but I cannot recommend this book to anyone. <laughs> I cannot. It is it is so dark. I remember re- lying in bed reading picking reading this book and I had to, it made me sick. It made me sick to my stomach and I had to, I literally threw it across the room. (laughs) I mean, with, with the knowledge that I would surely pick it up again later, but I, it just made me ill. But then I'm, you know, and I'm looking at the writing style. I mean, even now it's just, oh, it's just so, it's so kind of, it's so terribly, horribly uh, kind of really I, I mean I just I admire it I admire the object that is Miss Lonely Hearts it is they both are just uh, hmm, quite quite masterful and I guess they are satires I can't believe this is you know, a comedy with tragic implications uh, yeah yeah I'd say so that's um, anyway Nathaniel West I guess again I guess this is a twofer um, but I definitely learned of him and first discovered him in uh, in that uh, in that place. Yeah, so I'm here in the store. I'm here in the Falconer. It, it, it's pretty cool. It really is. You, know, you have to park in this little lot, and um, you know, there's just enough of a little tiny, skinny little ravine thing that you have to. I'll walk over a little old footbridge. It's about ten feet long, but yeah, just you—you you kind of have to. And then you go in, and um, you know, pretty much all the all the usual sections. It was—it's kind of cool. Um, I like—I walked in, and uh, you know, over in the corner, there's a coffee pot, and um, it just has a sign that says "Help yourself." Sad little coffee pot, but um, you know, this real ceramic mugs, and it's not like paper cups, so. Yeah, I poured myself a cup of coffee and, uh, um, you know, <laughs> my big gray ceramic mug. And I just started walking the sections and, uh, there's got a couple of funky things. There's one little room, um, with where, where all the books are free. Uh, they all have this, um, yellow square on them. Um, all, all free books. And, but I, I, I still haven't been able to get in there because like the same two people, um, are just like hanging out in there and they just keep, you know, they keep taking books, like, put them under their arms and uh, they're just not leaving. I, I guess the, the allure of the free book is just too great. So I'm just patiently waiting for them to get out. Not, not many other people in here. Um, oh, what else? Oh, you know, space, space is, is, is so tight. I mean, it's just, a, it's just an old house. On this road with a bunch of other old houses, um, but the the, you know, the books are um, they're just lined up on on the walls. Like it looks like they'll never even be sorted. Like just like random, just overflow that they have to put all along the walls, um, about you know, up 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 past my waist. So you know if you see something like on the bottom of the stacks. Uh, you'd be like, well, um, I guess I won't even be taking that book because, uh, you know, it's, it's just kind of too perilous, um, too difficult to work out of there. Also, in the, the bathroom is, is upstairs here. Um, 
and because space is so, so tight, in the bathroom is the poetry section and the reference section. They probably thought, um, you know, people weren't likely to, uh, you know, least likely to go in there, I suppose. Well, I don't know what that says about poetry these days. But uh, there's, there's bookshelves in the bathroom, um, and that's, that's where the books are. Right there, so there's, I guess, no place else to put them. But uh, I don't know. I, it's 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 kind of cool. Um, we have uh, yeah, cement floors. That's not not too not too great. I thought there'd be nice creaky wood, but um, uh, what are you gonna do? So that's uh, that's the falconer. I have three things I'm going to do a trade in for, and. Um, I'll let you know about them uh, in the next message. Uh, this, this, um, the second uh, one that I that I have is it's called "Encountering the Monster: Pathways in Children's Dreams" by Denise Baudet, and. Uh, this one I I'm trying to you know as I, as I sort of <laughs> pick up each of these copies I'm trying to imagine uh you know what you know the moments that I that I spotted these um this had this has um this is missing its its dust jacket and it's just got kind of the black um kind of cloth like um cover with with gold lettering on on the spine um, and, uh, you know, this was one, one, one of the, one of the, tr one of the treasures that you could find, uh, <laughs> you know, um, was, you know, often there would be, there would be a, a, uh, a hard cover that, and they weren't always necessarily that, that, um, that old, but because they were missing, like the ja like the dust jackets, um, or something, they would be, you know, they'd be, they'd be ripe for, <laughs> ripe for, um, uh, ripe for markdown here in our bookstore because it kind of just missing that made it kind of this blind grab, you know, made it kind of a more interesting uh, <laughs> object because you had to, of course, pick it up and open it to decipher its contents. Um, and this just, um, you know, this seemed really uh, fascinating to me. And I, I just, I, I, I do sometimes actually dip into this just for some kind of grounding um, when I'm trying to get ideas. Um, it, it, it almost give, it almost kind of gives me uh, reassurance that that things that I'm thinking and leaning toward are 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 real and and and. Um, kind of, um, measurable, and, uh, this is, you know, a, a psychology book, it's, um, this was describing some, um, uh, how she kind of set up, um, how she came to kind of set up a study of the dream, the dream life of, of children, um, I'll just, I wanted to just maybe read a couple lines of the, just the end of the introduction. Um, um, you know, and, um, let's see, I began put, putting the dreams into different groups, um, observing their contents, their major themes, the settings in which they occurred, 
and the attitudes of the dreamers as they faced the challenges that they encountered in their dreams. The dreams pointed toward the monster. Sometimes the monster took the form of a phantasmagorical being, sometimes the form of an animal, and sometimes the form of a human being. I became interested in the dynamic relation between child and monster, and in the strategies to which the dreamers had recourse in coping with the monster in their dreams. The children seemed to cope with encountering the monster by strategies that followed basic pathways, combat, taming, and being engulfed. Each pathway illuminated one facet of the nature of the monster and also illuminated one task that the growing child needs to accomplish. And um, this, this last one I wanted to mention, this is an anthology, um, an anthology of horror stories. It's called Masterpieces of Terror and the Supernatural, uh, selected by Marvin K. Doubleday. I think it was early 80s when this came out, question mark. Um, I see <laughs> now this on page... This, we've got the price on page uh, 17. This has quite a beautiful... This does have an Edward Gorey-designed uh, cover. Just the cover. Um, just the, um, the cover and, and like, the, the, ti- the lettering of the, of the, of the title. Um, and this, this just is really a great kind of... I mean, it's, it's almost kind of a great textbook to just some very, you know, classic... Um, horror stories, uh, ghost stories, mysterious stories. I, you know, um, it, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of kind of, um, you know, this is where I first, um, read, you know, oh, it's got everything from like Carmilla to, oh, you know, more, like some of the more recent, um, you've got like, you've got uh, Richard Matheson, of course, the, <laughs> the constantly present Richard Matheson, he's all over the place. Um, there's a Robert Block. Um, yeah, it's really great. There's a lot of, but before every story, there's, um, there's, um, a write-up about the story and its history and the author. And it's just really, it's, it's a great, like, kind of resource to have. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful collection. Um, you know, you have your section on ghosts and miscellaneous nightmares. You have... On fiends and creatures, <laughs> the beast within, and acts of acts of God and other horrors. Well, that's that's perfectly that's perfectly uh, perfectly phrased. Anyhow, I I feel like I need to just kind of dip back in and do. I think I just used to do like the random dip in too, like just kind of open it to a page and 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 go go from there, see what was on it, and read that story. Um, I think I am feeling the pull to do that. I I think, I think I, I think I will perhaps do that tonight. Any anyhow, I, ho- I hope this was all right. I I just was thinking, of course, about things and. Um, I just wanted to share share a few more a few more um, kind of special items with you. Uh, uh, take care. I'll 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 talk to you um, 
sometime soon or later. <laughs> All right, good night. Okay, well, I never, I never did manage to catch you on the phone here, but um, all right. So, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about my uh, my very tiny haul uh, from the Falconer Bookstore. Now that it's uh, behind me and I'm back home, um, just three things really. Uh, the interesting little book uh, published by the East Woods Press. It's called Campfire Chillers. This is a very small paperback with a very durable cover and obviously uh, it's called an Eastwoods pack book this is meant to be taken and, and designed and packaged to to um, go with someone on a camping trip uh, you have a very very durable cover and it's a uh, just a small collection of uh, about 10 classic short stories we have uh, represented everyone from Edgar Allan Poe to E.F. Benson uh, the monkey's paw pops up. We have Ambrose Bierce, and it ends with the Wendigo by Algernon Blackwood. But I, I like this idea, and uh, yeah, just the, the, the could not be the, the a more plain cover, just black with, with the words "campfire chillers" on it. I think it's kind of adorable. Um, I also have here. Uh, this is just the the script of a play. Uh, a hit play from about 20 years ago called The Weir, W-E-I-R, uh, by Connor McPherson. Simply, um, the, the setting is a an Irish pub on a dark night, and uh, the play is simply uh, the denizens of this pub telling each other spooky, sad, strange, true, uh, very emotional ghost stories. I always wanted to see this place so badly, and I could never, and it never came to wherever I was living. And I've always felt this real sense of, of of loss. I always wanted to be in that in that dark theater, listening to good actors tell these ghost stories. And I never, never got the chance. And sometimes I would direct the play in my head, um, and it, I always feel that way with, with when I read a play that I've never seen. I, I feel a sense of sad disconnectedness from from what might have been. And uh, this play of ghost stories, maybe the best example of that. And the third book, oh, this is kind of ridiculous, but I was feeling nostalgic and this caught my eye. And I remembered it very specifically when I was a kid. There was a, uh, a three-panel cartoon in the newspaper every day called Bloom County. This was the one that starred a famous character, Opus the Penguin. Beloved Opus, the underdog, uh, and the uh, comic strip was just about the nutty characters who lived in this sort of idyllic uh, meadow-based town. And Bloom County, even though some of the humor was over my head at that age, actually, got a little bit political sometimes, but I, I would look at, the, look at this comic strip, and this was the first time in my life that I, I wanted to be transported to a fictional place and live there forever because this little town uh, or th this little area, Bloom County, it seemed like everyone was just so happy and funny all the time and not especially working hard and there was a lot of lying about and daydreaming and I just wanted to be there and I remember thinking at that age, why can't I be? Why can't I be a just 
some, somebody in, in fiction, even a cartoon character, and just wake up in Bloom County every day and not have any real problems and just like everyone and everyone will like me. Uh, I don't have to deal with homework or any sort of sadness. So when I wasn't reading horror, I would open uh, this book in particular. It's just a big compilation of the cartoons called Bloom County Babylon. And I would be there with my friend Opus and my friend Steve Dallas and my friend Milo and, and all the rest of the characters, even even Bill the Cat. And I, I just loved how they seemed suspended in time and always would be in a way that uh, that didn't happen in horror. In, in comic strips, there was no time. There was, seemed to be no progression. And I just wanted to be there and not here. <laughs> And I think in a way, I've never really stopped wanting that. Anyway, the Falconer Bookstore, I'm not sure when or if I'll ever go back. And, uh, well, I don't expect to find any other really good used bookstores in in this area. I think I may have burned that bridge already. Um, But who knows? Maybe I'll move on sooner than I think. All right. Talk to you later. We must never forget that we are human, and as humans we dream, and when we dream, we dream of money. David Mamet, The Spanish Prisoner. Tender. The morning had a lot of snags and little tears, bad tidings for the day. But once he got out and felt the sidewalk, buckled and tilting under his feet, things opened up. There were substantial moments ahead. There were possibilities. He entered the grocery store under the white tube bulbs and over the brown mats and by the hissing front doors. To his sharp left stretched a short wall of machines, a fortune teller, a plushy claw, a tank of plastic eggs with rattling prizes inside. He pulled a Ziploc from his backpack and fed a load of coins into the change counter's wide-mouthed scoop. They poured like sand, pooling and piling and slipping over themselves. It was a calming, satisfying sound. Something clattered behind the little trap door, and when the sifting and counting was done, he peered in and scooped it out. He took it by its edges and turned it round in his fingers, examining it closely. It wasn't scratched, crushed or burned. It was minted in a recent year. Maybe it was fake. The weight of it seemed right, though, the feel. But he didn't really know about such things. He took his credit slip and bought some cereal, a can each of chicken soup and a beef stew, a frozen pizza, orange juice, three bananas, a bag of square white sliced bread, and a small tub of margarine. He stopped back home, tucking the food away, then set out again. The neighborhood seemed full of trilling birds bursting down from telephone wires and disappearing into the still green fronds of trees. Sprinkler and convertible season had just passed, with rake and rain gutter days on the way. He felt, as he walked, as the shining cars passed by at a tasteful speed, like he was a part of things. 
he went to a nearby coffee shop. He'd been there maybe one or two times in as many years, but he'd made a pledge to himself today to do something out of routine. When he got there, he ordered and paid with two paper bills and his new change from the grocery trip. The cashier opened the till and then stopped. She put one of the coins down and slid it hastily back toward him. I can't accept that, she said flatly. He looked at the coin. It was the one from the machine. Really? he asked, confused. What's wrong with it? She looked him straight in the eyes. We can't accept that. I I just... He shook his head gently. Um, okay. He fished in his pocket for something else. He felt his brow wrinkling in on itself. Sir, we don't deal with that in here. Another employee had emerged from the back. This one retrieved his other money from the register, and the two of them crossed their arms above their black half-aprons. He turned to leave, as there seemed to be nothing else to do. He pushed instead of pulled the door and lurched against it, elbow jabbing into his solar plexus. Outside, it felt strangely colder than it was when he went in, and there was a different smell. Some curling leaves scraped through the streets. Suddenly it was wood stove season, smoke season. He even saw rings of wreaths appearing on the white doors here and there like a circling moss. Still bereft of coffee, he stopped at a convenience store, filled a pebbly-feeling cup, and slipped it down through a cardboard sleeve. The counter clerk looked at the coin. Do you have anything else? he said. No. He did, and could certainly have employed it, since this coffee was cheaper than at the shop. But he just had to see. Why? he asked pointedly. The clerk looked him over. He seemed to be sizing up his contents like a jar. He fished through a little bowl on the counter, which seemed to be an advertisement for chew. Look, he said, I'll get it this time. Just, he gazed out the window, and a weariness brushed his face. Don't come back here, okay? I'm asking. His voice had a sliding down note. He picked up the coin and gripped it along its edge. He rolled it back and forth. I didn't, what's going on? It's a normal coin. If you don't leave now, the clerk said. I'm afraid I'll have to call someone. Who? He took a couple of steps toward the door. Why? Call who? He threw back one more look, and nothing gave. An electronic bell tolled when he shoved outside. Shaken, he picked a direction and started walking. He realized he was moving just to move. When he looked up, he didn't recognize the houses at all, which were gray and utilitarian and square. He was used to wide avenues with stripes of park grass down the middle. He liked the red bricks and white pillars and expansive porches, where the old trees burbled underground like lumpen porridge. He ducked into a little low-roofed bar. It smelled like microwaved pepperoni and stale popcorn. He sat down on a tape-covered stool and ordered a beer in a can. It was bitter and 
watery and sugary at the same time, but it did taste good. Maybe he needed it. He looked up at the TV. On the news, there were clips of a game where a clot of spectators moved like the wild, waving arms in a coral reef. The bartend moved past him a few times, economically, handling her own orbit. Eventually, she came back. Get you anything else? No, that'll do it. Okay, then. She scooped up his money and slapped the coin back down on the bar. He heard a loud clap. Don't you take these? He tried to put an innocence forth. Not anymore, she said, steely-eyed. He felt the attention in the long, dark space turning toward him and flushed. His pulse took on a soft violence. Take it outside. He walked back out to the falling dusk. He felt a new dank chill from the woods, from the sliding lake and limestone mountains just north, where the water was diamond blue and a ghost tree floated like a cluster of bones, peeled, bleached in decades of fog and sun. He felt deeply, shockingly tired. His feet ached, and his back found no relief in any way of leaning. And more than that, he was coming back to the idea, which he could never seem to shake for too long. He would never really fit in the world. Like there was some vital day of class he missed. He walked past the church and at the toy store and the yard with the piles of round, flat stones like slow, tall bulbs of soft service cream. His house, when he found it, looked very dark. He might have left his porch light on, or the bulb by the garage, but he hadn't then realized the day had become something long and strange. He didn't understand it anymore. When he walked up the four steps to his front door, there were a few elements at work. There was the moonlight, of course, and the bit of through-light from the alley and from the house across that, so he could see some shapes of objects through the window. He could see outlines, like the outline of the day behind him, without reason. He just saw what it was he could see. And what he saw was... He felt all the shame of the day pooling behind his eyes and face, then shifting, heating his chest and scalp. Someone had moved his furniture, and there was maybe... Another shape, a shape ducking down. He went back out to the sidewalk again, the river he'd been riding all day. He didn't altogether know why. He just had to think that whatever was at the house, he wasn't ready for that, and he didn't know what else to do. He went to the nearby park. The wind had thinned out and the shadows were tall and bared their throats. He moved through the darkening roses, crumbling up under dental-looking red brick arcs. He sat on a bench and looked up, spotting the struggling handkerchief of a bat. After a short while, a man emerged from the trees and sat beside him. My good sir, he began, got any spare? He handed him the coin. Just that, he said.
The man took it. And then he was quiet for what seemed like a long time. Just then, the wind returned. It rose up again like a thick steam, coughing and sucking back over roads and cars. The man had leaned forward, and he made a terrible sound. Somewhere in the park, a thing grabbed and ripped a smaller thing. Owls settled on street lamps and fence posts like the mottled heads of matches ready to strike. The dirt beneath hummed with blind food. The man's knees stained with red crying down. There were other things falling from his mouth, like little white beads. He smelled a sour spit, heard a sound like throat dissolving. The coin nestled softly in the grass at their feet. In the morning, it would shine, bright as a thousand baseball fields in the chlorine sun.